Hey, y'all, it's Mandy. Before we talk about this week's episode, I want to say shout out to the patrons. Y'all are the reason I'm still doing this. I could do it alone, but it's so much better to run with people who share your vision, share your values, and see the importance of the work you're doing. So if you're interested in all the premium content, hearing about the questions and answers, or even being a part of our live patron chats, check out my Patreon. It's under at Mandy Capehart, or you can search for Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart and find it that way. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 77, titled Redefining Rest, with Dr. Amy Novotny. Well, my friends, you are in for a treat today. Dr. Amy Novotny is the founder of the Paber Institute and developer of the Paber Method of Healing. The Paber Method, P-A-B-R, is a holistic approach to restoring the body to its full potential by using the body's own nervous system. You may remember that within the restorative grief model, we address loss as it is expressed through our minds, heart, body, and spirit. But often, the body is a difficult one to approach. Whether we lack safety, information, or support, our bodies can be a place where grief reigns and the nervous system is in constant hyperarousal. Together, Dr. Amy's professional insight and personal grief experience have created a new way of approaching the grief that we carry in our bodies so that we can finally learn how to heal from within. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's Mandy, and I'm here with today's guest, Dr. Amy Novotny. Hi, Amy. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mandy. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hate that we share such a common thread in our story. We've both lost our moms to cancer, which is utter garbage, if you ask me. Um, but I know that that's not the only thing we have in common. Your work around the nervous system is something we get to talk about today. And I love getting people to pay attention to what's going on internally while they are grieving. Yeah. Thanks for bringing, bringing that up. And the nervous system is definitely something that really impacts our whole entire body. Excuse me. And at the same time, it can impact our ability to grieve and what happens to us during the grieving process. Often we don't even hear about this nervous system even impacting us. So just even talking about and having a conversation can be very enlightening to a lot of people who may be experiencing certain symptoms, but not know why it's happening other than they just label it grief, but it's good to know what happens into the, in the body as a result of a traumatic experience, like losing your mom or losing a loved one. Yeah. So take us back to when you first got started in this work with nervous system. Was it as a result of losing your mom or was it prior to that? It was actually at the same time. It it coincided at the same time. I started, I just started doing some work in it. And then I found out my mom was terminally ill. And I found out on April Fool's Day in 2014. And it was a shock to my system because I wasn't expecting to hear, hey, I'm going to be dying. And at that time, they had said she only had a couple weeks. And so it was a huge shock. And then she started to recover and she actually lasted a whole another seven months. But at the same time, 
there was a lot of trauma going on for both of us. Obviously she was going through cancer and had a horrible experience of swelling and the sequela of that. But at the same time I started taking care of her and then hospice was coming in and out of my house. And so I was completely ramped up and on edge. My nervous system was high alert. I was super stress mode. And a lot of times what happens is we can ramp ourselves up to handle something that seems like we couldn't handle something really formidable. We ramp ourselves up and we're just like, go, 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 go. And then the person passes away. This was my case. She passed away and it was like, everything came crashing down. I had been on a high for so long that it finally crashes and crashed. And when that happened, I all these other illnesses in my body showed up. I was having thyroid issues. I became very swollen. They suspected Cushing's disease. My hormones were off. All these things started to happen. And the time I was still learning about this whole effect of the nervous system, grief, and what was going on. And so I went all over the place. I saw doctors. I went to the Mayo Clinic. I had 10 different specialists trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And there were a couple of them who said, you're under a high level of stress. I bet that's influencing what you're going through and what you're experiencing. And I said, no, I know my body. I'm having some kind of illness and something's going on. And there was, there was things going on. They caught things on scans and stuff, but I didn't equate it to my nervous system being ramped up for seven months and then crashing back down. So when I say this, and we can go more into the nervous system and what I mean by that, but it is a true experience of this happening to me and then learning about it and then figuring out a way to get my nervous system back into a regulated state. It reminds me so much as you're describing that as when I was working in schools and how during the school year, I was pretty healthy and pretty stable and constant and pushing through and then vacation would come or holiday and I would get sick almost immediately. It's similar in the same regard in that your body is absolutely, you're right. It's absolutely giving you the cortisol and the energy that you need to do the task in front of you, the immediate threat to be mitigated. And yet when you're at that high alert waiting for the next threat or waiting for this anticipatory grief period to shift into active grief, you are absolutely at the, at the will of your body, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, man. Okay. So yeah. take me through, let's do a little crash course because I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming of course, that people know what we're talking about when we say nervous system. So when yeah. you talk about yeah. the nervous system in regards to high alert, what is it that mm-hmm. we're addressing? Sure. So I'm going to break it down. We'll go very simple. There's something in our body called an autonomic nervous system. We have many different types of nervous system. You may have heard of like central nervous system that includes your brain and spinal cord. You may have heard of a peripheral nervous system and that's nerves going into your hands. Well, there's another nervous system called your autonomic nervous system. And that controls your organs, blood pressure, heart rate, tells your stomach to work, tells your esophagus, your heart, all these things to work. There's a component of that nervous system called your sympathetic nervous system. 
we know it as your fight or flight nervous system. Those who are more into the health world will hear fight, flight, freeze, and fawn as being the four states that make up this fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. Now, the opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system. That's when you're resting, digesting, you're asleep, you're reposing. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. There's another whole component in the, that same autonomic nervous system called your enteric nervous system that I just mentioned because that deals with digestion. But we're not going to really cover that one. But people who are going through grief often have trouble with that aspect as well. But let's go back to the fight or flight versus relaxation states, nervous systems. When we have a stressor, it could be a minor stressor, it could be a big stressor, that signals our body to go into a fight or flight state. That's what I experienced when I found out my mom was sick and that she was terminal. When I started taking care of her was a whole nother level of stressors. When hospice came in and out all throughout the day, that's a whole nother stressor. So every time that nervous system gets stimulated and think about all the other stressors we have in our life, work, finances, family, kids, all this stuff. Anytime we have those stressors and that nervous system gets stimulated, we often hear that our cortisol levels increase or our adrenaline increases. But we often don't realize and know is that our muscles start to behave differently. This is not often talked about. Our muscles start to contract without our awareness. They start to grip on our body. And sometimes you might be familiar with this. If, if you heard a loud bang and you jump, you feel everything tighten up in your body. Sure. That's the same response. Mm. You didn't do that. Your body responded in response to a loud noise that provoked fear inside you. But this also happens on a lesser scale or when you just feel an emotional stressor or a mental stressor, a spiritual stressor, your body tightens up. Sometimes you can feel it. A lot of times it's without your awareness. And what happens then it starts to change the physiology and the anatomy of your body in terms of pulling bones out of position. Mm -hmm. It starts to change your breathing mechanics. Your rib cage lifts up. So your breathing mechanics change. You stop using your diaphragm as effectively and efficiently. So you start lifting your ribs to breathe. You start to arch your back more as you're in this fight or flight state, which further overstimulates the fight or flight nervous system. So you get into this cycle and you get into this cycle more and more and more, and you get ramped up more and more and more into this fight or flight high alert state. And then what happens is unfortunately someone your loved one passes away and you don't have any more energy to keep you in that fight or flight state because now one of the major stressors has left this world. And so now your nervous system crashes back down and you feel this huge drop. And then you go the other, other way and you can't pull yourself back out of it. And that's when a lot of other conditions start to crop up because your body is so far into this fight or flight state. And then you go into almost a free state afterwards, and then you don't know how to pull yourself back up. And so much of your physical body has changed to stimulate the state to keep going that you don't know how to change to get out of it. Mm. 
And so when people are going through grief and they feel pain, stress, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, moodiness, emotional reactivity, chronic fatigue, those are all part of this fight or flight nervous system. Thank you for spelling it out so cleanly and clearly, because in the restorative grief model work that I do, we talk about the mental self, the emotional self, the physical self, and the spiritual self. And the body is so easily misunderstood because we've been, I think, conditioned socially to keep ourselves looking calm or controlled often. And I, even as you were talking, I was like thinking about clients I have that experience relief at the end of an anticipatory grief or people who've been caregivers who then are relieved when their loved one dies because they are now able to function differently and they don't have the, the other um, pressures that are going on, but to not have body intelligence that allows you to experience what's happening intentionally uh, Mm -hmm. is a pretty serious detriment to our grief process. It is. And yes, that relief is, real, even in people, a lot of times you don't want to admit it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's some of the pressure has come off of you. Mm-hmm. But the problem is most people who experience this, they don't know how to release it from their body because their body has changed. Yeah. And they can't sense that change happening over that period prior to the passing. And because they can't sense it or feel it, they don't know that they can change it so that their body can truly release what has happened and all the emotions that got stored in it. A lot of it is gradual too. I mean, anticipatory grief mm-hmm. is usually over time. And even if we're experiencing just traumatic life circumstances, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. that we're a caregiver, but when we've been exposed to those traumatic moments over and over and over, we're on high alert. And then to suddenly have a drop, it's as if we are saying, well, you've been trained to do this thing. And now you are suddenly expected to do the opposite that that's unreasonable. And we wouldn't expect anyone else in any other circumstance to be capable of doing something completely the opposite so fast. So I love the idea of considering like, what does relief look like internally for our bodies, instead Mm -hmm. of just allowing it to be some kind of a a mental or emotional shame driven response Mm -hmm. to loss? What would it look like for our bodies to learn how to internally reset and adjust our muscles back to Mm -hmm. what serves really well. So Mm -hmm. what in your experience, as you were developing all of this, um, thought process and, and study course of study, what, what came to the surface for you? Yeah. And this is a great question. So most people have no idea how to relax (laughs) and it's because of the way we hold ourselves. So this is a process that I've developed over the years. And I now take people through where you learn how to change the position of your rib cage, which affects the whole body so that the position of your rib cage goes back into a neutral position so that when you support your diaphragm and change your breathing mechanics, You feel the breastbone melt in as you exhale and you feel your belly button spill out as you exhale. Most people, when they exhale, they suck their gut in, which locks them up and will make them store all the emotions longer. And that's why most people can't relax. 
But when you exhale and your chest melts in and your belly spills out, you feel this wave of your muscles releasing the abnormal guarding that they have been trained to do. And so what happens then is as your breastbone melts in, your belly spills out, your rib cage drops down back into neutral, you can feel parts of your body start to let go. Hopefully we want to get most of it to let go, but to be honest, most people can't let everything go because they don't know that they're wound up to even know what letting go feels sure. like. Yeah. So it is a process. And then once you experience this and you feel your body starting to let go, it's a matter of stabilizing your body in that new relaxed position. Mm-hmm. So your nervous system learns to keep you there. And so you can exist with your body feeling relief. If you don't know how to stabilize and you don't learn how to stabilize in that relaxed position, that nervous system that's been trained to ramp you up will kick back in when you sleep and you'll go back to the state you are in. Mm. Because the way that we are is just because we've taught our body that way, whether we knew it or not. Mm. Our nervous system is just following our instructions whether it was from good intentions or bad intentions, it is doing what we taught it to do. So it doesn't know how to exist differently until we give it the option to exist differently and then focus on existing differently and working on it so that your body and nervous system now behaves a new way and you can exist in that relaxed state, which then helps you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually Because if your body itself is dropped down in a state, then all the other stressors are perceived at a lesser danger. Mm. When the body is in a fight or flight state physically, everything is perceived at a greater danger, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So we really, it really behooves us to work on the physical release of emotions and tension and to let things out so that we can pull ourselves down and not have the physical repercussions of the traumatic experiences we've been having. It's so interesting too, because so many of the phrases you're using, like to calm ourselves down, to experience relief, to relax or to let go of things, they are mentally and emotionally charged statements, right? They, they're easy platitudes that someone would tell you, Hey, calm down. Things are okay. Or, Hey, it's time to relax. And what you're describing and what you're describing is an invitation to consider them from the body perspective where you are actually able to then integrate instead of having them as external demonstrations of what you think people want you to do, that you want someone to calmly express themselves or look relieved or look relaxed or to rest. You're actually challenging us to say, no, your internal state of affairs is more meaningful than your external Mm -hmm. expression because you can fake being calm or rested on the outside, Mm -hmm. but internally your body is, is remaining in its trained state for your safety, like for your benefit, it's doing the best it can. This Mm -hmm. is an opportunity to consider almost physical therapy for yourself. Yeah. So this is, this is, Yes. You could use that word. It's very different from physical therapy, right? Physical therapists (laughs) have no clue what I'm talking about. And I know that because I was trained as one. Um, 
So, but what you said in terms of anytime you're, you're charged and someone says, calm down, it is the most patronizing Mm -hmm. request from someone who's not part of that situation. Right. And anytime, if I'm ramped up and someone says, just calm down and like, get away from me because I don't even want to talk to you because that's not going to help. Right. But now if I say, okay, I'm ramped up and I now focus, I'm like, okay, I know I'm ramped up, but can I calm and relax my breastbone in? Hmm. And if I can do that, I can start to feel my state change. It has to, because when I release my breastbone in the back muscles stop compressing on the fight or flight nervous system, that ramps me up. And so I physiologically have to change. So I am going to calm myself down whether or not I want to, but it's not someone telling me, patronizing me saying, just calm yourself down because emotionally I can't do that. Right. I'm charged. I, I have, there's meaning to whatever I'm upset about. Yes. But I can change myself and I can really calm myself down if I can do it physically. Yes. And then that brings my emotions down a step and I keep working at it and I can physically make an alteration in my nervous system state. So in essence, I am calming down. Mm. So what we want is to teach people how they can change their state physically to help them calm down emotionally if they want that. Right. I mean, this is all a choice. (laughs) I mean, I spend my time calming people down, but I tell them the reverse is true. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a different topic, but l- let's say I'm running a marathon. I want to be as calm as possible for those 26 miles. The last two tenths of a mile, I see that finish line. I'm going to ramp myself up. Why? Because I want to sprint across that finish line and look like I just had a great race. So I can now put myself in that fight or flight state, ramp myself up and charge full ahead. Mm-hmm. As soon as I'm done, I'm going to calm myself back down. So learning how you can physically calm yourself down can really help you deal with something where you're emotionally charged without someone telling you, just, man, you just go calm yourself down. Just, just relax. Just relax, girl. I'm activated even hearing you say it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we can't just relax, especially if we don't know how to relax building bodily awareness in the way that you're talking about isn't an easy task. It's not something we're ever really taught to do. And and in a lot of ways, especially even as women, we're taught to really dismiss and not think about our bodies to really just kind of tuck it away and think about how we emotionally or mentally show up. Um, And even with grief work, one of the principles that I use with clients is the window of tolerance from Dan Siegel, right? This idea that we're going into hyper or hypo arousal and how are we responding? But typically that's applied mentally or emotionally. How would you suggest that someone, even if they're using that concept because it's familiar or another methodology, how does someone begin to cultivate that level of bodily awareness to where they can then integrate and use some tools that you recommend? Yeah. So I, I will say it is a process. So when I work with someone, it, the method that I developed is called the PABR method it stands for pain, awareness, breathing, relief. So when you're first starting, you're in some type of pain, you're trying to get to relief, but bef- before you can even make changes, you have to become aware of your body state, your nervous system state, 
the breathing is a component of it, but the awareness is really the crux. Mm-hmm. You're aware of how ramped you are, ramped up you are. You're aware of your body relaxing. You're aware of things still guarding and you become aware of how to stabilize. So before we do anything with someone, we have to put their body in a position that will promote relaxation, whether or not they can feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. We have to at least put them in a position where things start to go that way. Simple things. We'll go over how to sit. Most people sit in a state of fight or flight, plain and simple. You sit on the edge of the chair. You sit with your chest up, shoulders pulled back, your gut sucked in. You often sit with your knees lower than the the crease of your hips. You may sit where your heels are up and your toes are down. You sit maybe arched or maybe on a therapy ball. Any of these things, you are sitting in a position of fight or flight. If you're sitting on a bar stool, with your back arched, you're in a fight or flight, all these things, you are positioning yourself in a fight or flight. So we don't even do anything until we get you into a position where you can relax. So what does that look like for sitting? First, sitting all the way back in the chair, get rid of that pillow you throw in there for lumbar support that arches your back that puts you in a fight or flight mode. Unless of course you have pain and you need it because there are times where people have so much pain they need it because They are such in a fight or flight, so we have to gradually wean them off of that. But in the general sense, get rid of that lumbar support pillow that's shoving your back forward, that's stimulating your your fight or flight nervous system, that's ramping you up. Sit all the way back in the chair. Let your low back relax. Let your tailbone curl underneath you. Now put your feet flat on the ground. Have someone look at you from the side to determine if your knees are lower than your hip crease. Most people will look down at their knees and they're like, oh, they're the same level. And I'll look at it from the side and know I'm like, that's three or four inches too low. Mm. So if you don't have someone, get out your phone, put it on the camera. So put it on reverse. So it's looking at you now, hold it down by your thighs. So you can see if it's level or not. Most people, most chairs are designed for people that are like six, four or taller. Most of us are not six, four or taller. So even when you lower uh, an adjustable chair to its lowest setting, for the most part, it's still for 90% of the cases, it's still too high. Hmm. So put some books under your feet and then see what you feel in your low back. And it's amazing. So many people, they try to say like, wow, my low back feels relaxed. I've never felt that before. So we just got the person in a position where they have the possibility to relax. Hmm. Then we start working on changing the breathing mechanics First, just working on exhalation. So they change their mechanics so it can stimulate the vagus nerve to calm them down. Mm -hmm. So the chest goes in, ribs go out, or ribs go down, belly goes out. And they practice that. And then they get a week of practicing that. Then they start working on how to inhale differently. So inhalation isn't such a fight or flight response, but that they're learning how to use their diaphragm instead of pushing their belly out. Belly breathing is not diaphragmatic breathing. That's just abdominal distension. And we want to get away from lifting the ribs to breathe. We want to use the diaphragm, which should act like a vacuum to pull air in. So then the body's starting to learn how to let go. Then we have to learn how to stabilize. We have to teach you how to use your arms and legs all over again. So you stop using your back to move your arms and legs. And you stop using your back to breathe. 
Mm-hmm. And so you start to change and transform a person's body and what they feel and the safety that they generate in their body. And it's such a calming effect. Often people will fall asleep on Zoom on me, even though I'm sitting there looking at them. And most of the time when someone's looking at you, you're not, you're kind of self-conscious. Right. These people fall asleep mm. because they haven't experienced true relaxation in their body. Mm. And I'm just guiding them through this process, but they're calming themselves down mm-hmm. because they're changing how they hold their body. They're changing how they breathe. They're finally releasing tension in the various areas where we store grief and they're letting go. Hmm. And it's so common. You can see a person just start to go and you just see them relax and letting go. And they're just like, wow, I'm in the state and they never want it to end because Mm -hmm. they don't want to go back to their other reality. Mm -hmm. So we have to integrate the two, but just that that's kind of the process of it. There's obviously this is a process that goes on for several weeks, Mm -hmm. but that kind of gives you an idea and overview of what happens and how you can, how you can integrate it. And there'll be times, because I work with people that have had the worst trauma you can ever imagine. People from other countries of the world where the atrocities you and I have never even considered or have just heard or read about. And when they start to let go, sometimes there's crying, sometimes there's arms flailing, sometimes it's a change into a different um, personality because they're finally letting go and they're able to heal and release what was stored in the body. Mm. So, and I say this because I don't want people to think, whoop, I'm going to snap my fingers. I'm going to be perfect. (laughs) It's not that it's, we have to get things to let go, but you have to feel safe in your body to allow that to happen. Yeah. And I love that you brought that up too, because that's something I think about often is how so many of us have the privilege of being safe in our bodies. We have bodies that do what, for the most part, we expect them to, or we don't necessarily have awareness of what we've picked up along the way of bad habits, of physical traumas that maybe happened when we weren't aware of it, or things that just didn't resonate. I was even thinking about when I was pregnant with my daughter and how the anxiety I experienced during pregnancy very likely affected her nervous system before she ever came out and how easy it would be for me as a parent to be like, I can't believe my anxiety disorder has affected my child instead of looking at the opposite to say, I have experienced this. How do I experience it differently so -hmm. that I can then help my daughter feel safe in her body and have Mm -hmm. an empowerment that I didn't have access to when I was her age, despite having the same kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. So that bodily safety is is incredibly, I don't want to say important because it feels like too small of a word. It's, Mm -hmm. it's crucial. It's integral. It's without bodily safety. I don't know that there's an actual integration of healing into our lives from our stories because we're whole people and our bodies are so necessary. Yeah. A lot of people, and I will say this, a lot of people don't know what it feels like to feel safe in their body. Right to truly feel relaxed. Like they can just sit and exist and don't feel the need to like, I have to do something. I have to do something. I have to be on edge. I have to, otherwise I'm considered lazy. Like most people don't know how to just exist. I have to share this with you. Um, I don't know if I can actually do it. Mm -hmm. I know this is obviously a podcast, but I'm going to try and share my screen Mm -hmm. so that you can see it. And I'll just describe it for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Because while you're talking, I'm just cracking up that my background of what my background is right now. So let's see. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Can you see my screen? <laughs> Rest between the fights. Okay. So it's a woman reclined on a couch and I am someone who is constantly activated to fight constantly. Like it, it's, it's not even just like, oh, I'll it's in my nature, whatever. I see a fight and I do what you were saying. I will say, no, I can choose this fight and I will amp myself up. But if I don't give myself permission to come back down in between, I'm, I'm a mess. It's, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And so I created a whole bunch of just random backgrounds for my computer this year. Mm -hmm. And this was one of them. I thought this was so funny that it came up right as you were talking about it, because without, without that intentionality, like you said, you can choose to give yourself the adrenaline rush to get through the finish line, but you also have to choose and have to be empowered and equipped and have permission to choose coming back down. And that's not something most of us know how to do. So how would you guide someone who maybe they don't have access to resources to hire you or to work with someone who can observe them, but how would you encourage someone to start recognizing moments of bodily safety for themselves or to start cultivating that kind of an awareness? So a couple things is kind of take note. One, do you have chronic pain or any pain? Okay. If, if you have some type of pain, your body is not fully safe. There are muscles that are pulling abnormally and there is guarding going on that you are unaware that's happening. Of course, if it's something like you were out playing catch and you, a baseball hit you in the thigh, that's a different type of pain, right? Like, you know, the cause of your pain, but let's say it's, it's a pain that has crept up all of a sudden you develop neck pain or shoulder pain or whatever it is. We're talking about like that type of pain. If you are emotionally reactive, if you're catching yourself, oh shoot, I just reacted. Why did I react that way? Oh, I need to go apologize. Stuff like that. Um, becoming aware of what your triggers are. Is time a trigger? Are you doing too many things that makes you too stressed out? Just becoming aware of your triggers. And then looking at your body and saying, do I feel like I'm really relaxed all over? And even when I really tell myself to relax, are things relaxed? Are my muscles flabby? Whenever someone tells me my hamstrings are tight, they've always been tight. Like there is no problem with your hamstrings. It's your nervous system. Your nervous system is telling those muscles to contract and your position of your pelvis is not in a position of relaxation. So your hamstrings are going to feel tight. You change those two things, the hamstrings are going to be normal length. You don't have to stretch. So there are different things that we say, oh, I wake up and I feel tight all over, or I feel 120 years old. Um, I just feel tired all the time. If you say any of these things to yourself, you that's an indication that your nervous system is likely ramped up. There's no underlying condition or something going on. But those are all things that we can start to look at and say, hmm, okay, so I see these symptoms. I've answered yes on one of Amy's questions. So now what can I do about it? Am I able to resolve this on my own and let go and figure it out? Or do I need help? A lot of people need help. Some people don't, but you start to take action start to realize that you do have control over your body. I'll give you an example. I'm working with a client who came to me, had a certain consistent 
they, she calls it a, a pathway where a, a consistent pathway down the right side of the body where pain starts in one area ends up in another area. And it, it happens whenever this person's stressed out. And so we worked on getting that to release, to let go. The person learned how to stabilize, but the behavior of the person didn't change. There was this hypervigilance and there was this this constant, okay, what is that? Oh, that person's frowning. Oh, okay. Does she not like me? Does he not like me? Um, okay. I need to be here. I need to be here. And here, this hypervigilance, this height alert state was driving this body response. And as soon as we worked on this hypervigilance dropping and decreasing and not being hypervigilant about everything going on and just being present to the one person in front of her, guess what? Pain go went away. Mm. And she knew how to stabilize with that pain going away and releasing. And then, then she didn't have issues. So there are so many things that we can look at in ourselves. And it's not to say, come become obsessed. I don't want you to become hypervigilant over your state. But just when you're just periodically, once or twice a day, just check in. What do you, what do you feel like when you're at work? Mm. What do you feel like when you're at home? before bed are you able to truly let go most people are trained to ramp their body up all day long and then they can't sleep so they turn to sleep aids mm -hmm. but it's because if you teach your body to be in a ramped up state just because you close your eyeballs because you're lying horizontal doesn't mean your body knows how to let go and to relax and release yeah and that's why people can't sleep there's actually one really great meditation i love to do most nights when i'm not nose deep in a book at bedtime, but it's just that, um, a body scan starting at my toes and like actually mentally, even if I don't know how to relax the muscles that connect to my toes, mm -hmm. mentally saying those are relaxed and like feeling them melt into the, into the mattress and every like going five to 10 minutes worth of just going up my body. Even that can be so stressful, uh, when it, the day has been too much, right. Because mm -hmm. my, my brain is in decision fatigue and I'm foggy mm -hmm. and I'm tired. And, um, but what I am is not physically tired. I'm emotionally and mentally tired and spiritually mm -hmm. drained, but my body hasn't been given permission to really just relax. And so uh, everything you have said is so invitational. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's really the, the core of this is you are inviting us to redefine what it looks like to calm down and to, internalize rest in a way that it becomes restorative. At least Absolutely. that's what I got out of it. <laughs> yes. And, and that's true. And the thing about like your toes, if your breastbone isn't in the right position, it's going to be hard to relax your toes. Cause if your breastbone is up and out, you're in a signal to be ramped up. So your brain can think about your toes relaxing, but it's going to be a mental challenge for your brain because you can't feel it physically. So you're not in coherence. Hmm. Okay. Well, how do I fix that? How would I tell if I'm lying down, mm -hmm. like, what's the best way to say, okay, breastbone, where are you at? I don't know that I have awareness of what that would be. That is, that is a process. I, I, I can't give you just a flat, simple answer because you will be different from everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it is a process to learn how to melt your breastbone in without you throwing your shoulders forward, your head forward, your back needs to be in the right position. There is a whole process to it, but that's why it can be a mental challenge. You're already taxed and you're laying there and you're like, okay, your toes relax. And you're, you're, you're telling them that, 
but they're not possibly going to cooperate unless your breastbone knows how to relax so it can release the tension in your body. And the breastbone part, it sometimes takes weeks to feel it relaxed depending on the person and how much grief or trauma that they have gone through and how much stores in their body. That's just part of the process. And I'm not trying to be evasive. It's just, it's just with many clients, you, you kind of learn that it's not a simple pat answer. And I don't want to patronize anyone and think it is because if I tell you, go, just go do this and you don't do it, you're going to think of yourself as failure. And it's not that at all. Yeah. I love that qualification. And honestly, I mean, well, yes, that's my question at the same time. I know Mm -hmm. that we're always looking for a quick fix in grief work and Mm -hmm. there, I haven't found one yet all these years. I keep looking for them and I promise I will give them away for free when I find them. But until then (laughs) I'm going to continue to find people like you who are available and passionate about it and doing the work that can actually cultivate change for us as we are continuing to heal and integrate. So Amy, thank you for making time today for being so um, clear and concise and transparent and honest about what this is and how it can benefit us and um, before we go, is there anything else you want to like throw out there or just tell us where we can find you if we want more? Sure. Yes. Um, the easiest way to learn more information is go to my website. It's paberinstitute.com. P is in pain. A is in awareness. R or B is in breathing. R is in relief. And then the word institute.com. You can also Google my name and it will come up. Um, but the thing is, Just keep in mind, this is a process that you are learning how to control yourself. That's the best part of it Mm -hmm. is when I'm guiding someone through this, I'm just a guide. I'm telling them what to do, but they're the ones that are making the change. Mm -hmm. And we do this through Zoom and it's recorded. So they get the recordings and they can practice as many times as they want. They save them. They can use them for years and years and years but it's them learning the process and controlling. There is nothing better than seeing someone's eyes light up and say, you know what? I just had this horrible experience at work, but my body didn't hurt. I was able to let it go. Mm. I felt it. I didn't need you. Mm. I felt it. I was able to implement it on my own. And I just felt this relief. I didn't lash out. I didn't have that neck pain that I always have. And it is so beautiful because I didn't touch them. I didn't implement and do something to them. I just used some words to teach them how to change their body. And then they just implemented it and they learned that skill and no one can take it away from them. Mm. No one owns that except them. That's, that's the power of when someone can really transform. That's beautiful. I think that's where we end it, Amy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for everything. Thank you you for having me, Mandy. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to episode 77 of Restorative Grief. After we finished this interview, Amy took a few minutes with me to revisit the way I was sitting in my chair, as well as how I can use our conversation today to support my own healing alongside yours, because I'm in the same boat, remember? It was such a gift. And if you resonated with anything in this conversation, even just a little bit, I hope you will make the choice to go out of your way to connect with Amy through her website or even via social media. Remember, all the links are in the show notes. And 
honestly do it if it resonated even a bit because her work is already making an impact on my life and I definitely want to hear that it has made an impact on yours. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief, thank you for making the space to ask a few questions of yourself and the way you approach grief. As we view ourselves in this new framework as a whole person, not broken but misaligned, we will find permission to stretch, expand, and heal in ways we never thought possible. Remember to hit subscribe so you'll automatically download new episodes each week and consider sharing this episode with someone you know who might need a new definition for rest, calm, relax. Check out the show notes for Amy's contact information as well as a link on how to become a patron of the show if you are interested because we would love to have you. And one last thing, please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.